things, uh, Alleluia, Brazil, you'd probably find it. But it's, uh, it, it was just, uh, I, I still have it on my, my, my uh, favorites just so I can go push it now and then and listen to it. So uh, thank you for playing that this morning. I really love that song. We're in Matthew chapter 25, and the, uh, the last uh, verses, uh, verse 31 through 46, and uh, before I read the verses, just a little bit of uh, background or recall. Uh, recall uh, in chapter 24, uh, verse 3. Uh, that the disciples were asking some very specific questions. You know, Jesus had just—they uh, were just coming through Jerusalem, and they were looking back. And then Jesus looked at the temple, and the disciples looked at him, basically, probably saying something like, "Isn't that awesome?" And he said, "You know, there's a point in time where not one stone in that temple is going to be left standing on another." And they knew that they were—you know—that was basically in in their thought process. An in-time scenario. Uh, as it turns out, as Jesus goes on and talks about it, he turns out that it's something that he prophesied would happen before the end actually comes. In fact, it, would, it turns out that it would happen at 70 A.D. And exactly what Jesus said would happen, happened. And uh, I believe that, that within the framework of that is to give us purpose and uh, credibility, if you will, to believe what he's got to say to us this morning as well. And, uh, but the, the questions that the disciples asked, he says, as, as, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And so they were looking for these things. And so chapter 24 and chapter 25 have been combined of teachings and parables explaining various aspects of what would be going on and, uh, during the, the time of, of, of waiting for Christ and then the fact that we need to be ready. The, the, the parable of the ten virgins is, is absolutely clear. You need to be prepared for the Lord to return at any moment. We do not know. There is nothing, I don't care what books you read or anything else, there is nothing left in prophecy that's necessary to be fulfilled that would prevent the Lord from coming. There's a lot of people that have a lot of different ideas about various kinds of prophecies, uh, various teachers over the years, but the reality is he, he wanted, and the apostles lived their lives, and that first generation church lived their lives as if it could happen for them. That's how strongly they believed that it could happen at any time, especially after 70 A.D. And so they... Uh, the pictures that we have of the ten virgins, five ready, five not, therefore five shut out. And Jesus is trying to make a, a very clear point here. Again, the idea, alert, watchfulness, prepared. No one knows the day or the hour. The parable of the talents that uh, was shared last week was, is, is the idea of accountability. Uh, we as, as Christians are accountable before the throne of God to, uh, to what He has given us in the way of gifts and talents and resources, including our very breath, uh, to use to His glory. And we are going to be held accountable. 
I know that this is, in a sense, a side note, but, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians, the, the third chapter, excuse me, 2 Corinthians, the third, third chapter, uh, Jesus speaks about uh, being, well, now I'm confused, I, don't, I didn't write it down. Hang on just a second. Bear with me. Yeah, I just didn't have it circled here. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. This is Paul uh, speaking. And someone else is building upon it. Who is building upon his foundation? The church. Okay. That includes us today. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now, who's done the building? Believers, okay? If the work that, uh, that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. In other words, we're not talking about what saves you here. Salvation is through faith and grace and God's work and how that's done. What he's talking about is that we as Christians are accountable for all the gifts that he's given us. Every resource that we have, if we believe He is the sovereign God and He alone is the provider, uh, Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides, the God who provides, then if we believe that, then we believe that every penny He gives us is something that He holds us accountable as to how we use. Does that mean that we can't ex- take a, 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 and, and expend it on a vacation or enjoy life or in certain aspects and things like that. It's not what it's talking about. The talking about is, is that in the process, are you giving thanks to God for what He has given you, provided you, and are you showing His thanks by serving Him and building on His foundation? That's really what it's boiling down to. And if we're building with hay and straw, what happens to that stuff in fire? Yeah, it's gone. I, I think of uh, when I think of, a, of straw being on fire, I think of, a, of, a, of an actual uh, drinking straw being on fire. Uh, if if you, you, some of you that you can remember back to the 50s, where were used to be made out of, of paper, waxed paper, uh, and so they were extremely flammable. And I, I had parents and aunts and uncles all who smoked, and so I decided I wanted to smoke. I was four. And I got into the linen closet with a box of matches and, and, and straws, and I would light the straw, and it would go poof. And so I'd light another one, and it would go poof. I'm a slow learner. Um, and they would fall to the floor and smolder, and some of them fell on the linens and smoldered. The next thing you know, the room's full of, 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 of smoke, and I'm unconscious on the floor of the closet. Fortunately, my sister saw the smoke coming out and opened it up, but as she opened it up, that fan had turned it into a wall of flame. And I didn't have a hair left on my body, but not one bird. You know, God was taking care of me even then. You know, but what I but 
that, that, and that's a graphic picture in my mind. It just, everything exploded. It caught on fire. But I still, by the skin of my teeth, survived. That's the picture I have when I read that verse. And, and so that idea of, of we, you know, we just, you just made it. So we're not talking about salvation, but we are talking about accountability. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as, as, we, as we go through this. Um, today's passage is dealing very directly with the idea of Christ's return and judgment. And so let's turn to that now, verse 31 through 46, the 25th chapter of Matthew. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate them one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep at His right, but the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave Me food. I was thirsty and you gave Me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed Me. I was naked and you clothed Me. I was sick and you visited Me. I was in prison and you came to Me. Then the righteous will answer say Him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and, and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me. You, you cursed into the... You, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go to eternal life. That's a pretty overwhelming verse because it would appear that he's speaking to a group of people, all who initially feel that they are part of the kingdom of God. They all are, are standing there uh, with, the, uh, with that thought in mind. And I think it's important that we look at this. When Jesus says, the least of these, my brethren, he is speaking of the believers. And he, so he's basically speaking about family business here. Have we taken care of our people within the church? And I want to be really careful here because it... We're not trying to say, and that, that's it. We are responsible to outreach to, to the poor and minister to the poor. There's so many other verses that deal with that. I, that. That's not the dealing with this morning. That's not what this is dealing with. This is dealing with family business. Are we taking care of one another? Are we ministering to one another? When one falters, uh, uh, do we, we come alongside and help them up? At that point in time, many would be found finding themselves in prison. 
because of their faith. Somebody says, well, what if one finds himself in prison because of, a, of disobedience? We're still to call on them. We're still to visit them. We're not to abandon them. If anything, they need us more than they've ever needed us before. So we have this picture uh, that, that Jesus is concerned about how we minister to one another in the church. Let's look back at verse 31. It says very clearly, Christ is coming in His glory. The songs were, were so appropriate for that this morning. You know, hallelujah, give Him the glory, the worship, praise that is due His name. He comes in His glory. And it says He comes with all His angels. Does anybody know how many angels there are? Well, we have a one phrase that can give us an, an idea. Myriads upon myriads. That means thousands upon thousands. And it's, and it's not just thousands plus thousands plus thousands. It's thousands times thousands times thousands. So we're talking about an exponential number. It's just, you know, uh, we have no idea. And, he, he, and he's coming with all of his angels. And then it says he will sit on his glorious throne. This is the second coming of Christ. And, uh, and I've shared this with you before, it's going to be something that is obvious. It's not secret. It's not something that's going to happen quietly. In fact, go back to chapter 24 and look at verses 26, 7, and 8. Uh, it says, uh, Jesus is speaking. So if, you, if they say to you, people who are saying you know, that the Christ has come or is coming right now, look, he is in the wilderness. Do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. In other words, there's going to be something that precedes his coming. You don't, if people are saying, oh, he's over there or he's over there, but you just don't know about it yet, it hasn't happened. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, that's terminology in Hebrew and Greek for the idea that the, the, the skies will announce. There will be signs of... of, 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 of amazement all across the heavens that something is happening as far as the east is to the west so that the coming of the man the coming of man will be wherever the corpse is there as vultures will gather we what a morbid thing for us to put in there but the hebrew people automatically understood it if something dies out and uh, no matter where it is but especially in the wilderness or off to the roadside what's the first thing that happens the vultures start circling so if you see the vultures, if something dies, you see the vultures circling. In other words, as sure as that kind of thing goes on, this is going to be something that is obvious. It's not going to be quiet. It's not going to be silent. Paul tells us, to, as he writes to Thessalonians, that the, 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 the trumpets are going to a trumpet's going to sound, and the implication is, is that it's going to be a global hearing of this sounding trumpet, the second coming of Christ. going to be obvious. People are going to note this, this has happened. At his second coming, he sits on his throne and it says the nations are gathered around him. The nations would just mean the people of the world. Some people want to narrow it down to just the Gentiles. I don't believe at this point that's the application. I believe the application is universal. The, the, the people of the world are gathered around his throne. And he, he, he basically 
makes a pronouncement of separation. And you notice it isn't group A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H you know, over here. Those who have outer heaven, inner heaven, you know, because there are some false religions that talk about sitting on the outside of the, the gates, on the inside of the gates, and, and various things of heaven. No, there's two groups. And he says, I want the sheep over here on my right-hand side. Right-hand side is a place of honor. Don't ask me what the left-hand side has meaning to it other than, than it's just the other side. And it's not the place of honor. And he, and he, and he gathers the, the goats to that side. He separates the sheep and the goats. This is no disparagement on sheep and goats. This is just simply the, the picture of uh, uh, using metaphors to say there were sheep and goats together, meaning people. <laughs> some of them are the sheep of Christ and some of them are not. What are we going to call them? Goats. Okay, don't put anything else on that. As he separates them, it's almost like they know who they are. It's not like he set the angels out and said, okay, you over here, you over there. You. It doesn't say that, you know, it, it just, it's like they knew which group they fit in. He didn't say anything yet about what was happening. He just, and so they went in their, their group and sheep on his right and goats on his left. Then he speaks first to the sheep. And I'm not going to reread all of this, but the picture of, of this idea of being hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, in prison has to do with all the possible general categories one might find themselves in and needing assistance and help. As believers, any one of us could come to a, a point where we needed help. I have been blessed over the years to watch this congregation reach out. First to, to the, the church family here, but I've seen you guys reach out to the church family at large. And then I've seen you reach out even into the community uh, at, at large. I, can re- I, I, I recall so many different instances where you, you made sure that, uh, that, that people were taken care of and ministered to, to the best of uh, the ability that we had. And, and I know many of you have reached into your own pocket and your own resources to take care of people's needs that nobody else knows about. That's what Christ has called us to do. If He's given us the resources. I read to you James. It says, what good does it do to tell somebody who you see who has a need and, and, and you have the means in your pocket to meet the need and yet you just wait bless you and Lord bless you and take care of you and, and meet your need and walk away. If you have uh, the resources there and you haven't ministered to them, you have failed. That's all there is to it. You've missed the boat. You missed the opportunity to minister to Christ who has saved us through helping one of the family. He says to them, blessed, you, he, notice how he says this, verse 34, blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. From the foundation of the world, there has been a plan for your salvation. From the foundation of the world, there's been a, a, a kingdom plan that is going to be yours and it's, you know, and it's, and it's you know, you have come and it's, you are the blessed. What causes us to be blessed? How do we become the blessed? 
we confess with our mouth, believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is the living Son of God and that He is God in the flesh. It's not something that we do by earning it and doing good deeds. It comes from a pure, and I have to say pure confession, meaning a sincere confession. Is it possible that someone could say those words and not mean them? Absolutely. In fact, I, I, I over the years, have, have found many people uh, who have made professions of faith at, at an early age, or maybe like in my family, the church that, that my grandparents went to, uh, I was baptized when I was, was seven days old. I didn't know anything about it, but they felt that was a covering over me and, 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 and that would be all I needed. Um, there is a point where it's your response to the call of God through the Holy Spirit as He opens your eyes to your, to your sin, you seeing your own sin and desiring to be delivered from your sin, saved from your sin, and, and, and restored to a position of, of, of redemption in the sense that you are, are at peace with God. So that's who he is speaking to here when he says, Come, blessed by my Father, the sheep. Now their response to this is amazing to me, because it, it, and it implies absolute surprise. They were not prepared for, for, for this assessment about hungry, thirsty, you know, clothes, naked, all you know, that. They weren't prepared for that. And so they said, when did we do that? Now, if he said they did it, they must have. What is being said here is, basically, we had no idea that those little things are what counts. You see, those things are the indication of a transformation. Be you transformed. Not conformed to the world, but transformed. The world may minister to, to hungry people and, 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 and thirsty people and people needing clothes, but they don't care about their souls. But when we minister, we care about their soul as well as all other needs. But, but the idea is, is that here he was speaking of the little things, things that came without having to really think about it. Oh, George has, has had an accident. He's laid up at home. He lives by himself. Wonder if he needs food. I get a call. I'll, find, I'll get a call from somebody and saying, so-and-so just had a, 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 a situation and, and uh, we just want you to you know, put it on the prayer list. And not, not ten minutes later, I'll get a call from someone in our congregation saying, do they need something? You didn't, nobody didn't sit there and say, well, I have to pray about this first. You just knew that that's what you do. There are certain things you don't have to sit and pray. You don't have to sit and pray about whether, you know, the, the Ten Commandments, you know, you, you, they're already there as to whether to do them or not. These are the commandments. Love one another as Christ has loved you. And if you love them like you love your body, we don't hesitate to feed ourselves and clothe ourselves and warm ourselves and cover ourselves with, with a, a covering in bad weather and all the things that come along with that, we are to do that for one another. So the righteous respond, when did we do this? Like I said, a sense of surprise is implied by this. We just did what we thought you would want us to do, Jesus. 
There was that movement, what would Jesus do? You know, some people thought it was a little too commercial, but I thought it was eye-opening. Because a lot of times we forget to remember about what would Jesus do in this situation. This is just this, you know, Lord, we just responded naturally according to your work in us. Again, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35 say that we will be known as Christians by the way we love each other, the way we take care of each other. People are going to stand back and say, oh, that's a neat place to belong. I have to tell you, I get tired at times of hearing where cults have got a better reputation than, 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 than the Christian church about ministering to need. I don't put this congregation in that category. But we all need to hear this message. So here we are. How do we love one another? How do we minister to one another? And, and meeting the needs. And it's basically meeting the base needs that we all have. You know, the church, when it started out in Acts chapter 2 and, and 3 and 4, you read it, it's what they, they did. Now, I'm not suggesting that we have to follow that pattern necessarily today, but there could come a time where we would need to again. Where we pulled all our resources and then redistributed. Somebody says, oh, that's communism. Not in this context. This is Christianism. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's following after Christ and the way the church got itself started. Because at the point in time that those people were becoming Christians in Jerusalem, Many of them lost their families because their families disowned them. Many of them lost their jobs because their bosses fired them. Uh, they didn't have anything. And then there were others who were wealthy in themselves who had become Christians. So they went out and sold their property, their land and whatever, and, 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 and pulled the resources so they could all survive together. I had one person pointing out to me an end-time scenario about storing up stuff, and they said, and I told them I disagreed with it, and they said, well, boy, you're going to be hungry. And I said, no, I'm not. They looked at me, and I said, I'm coming to your house for dinner. <laughs> you know, I, the fact that I missed uh, uh, something theologically and, and disagreed on, based on something, that, that you, now I'm dead. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's not what the Scripture says. You know? so, so this idea is, are, you know, are we waiting for the Lord? When He comes, are we prepared? And that's the idea of the talents. Have we used the resources wisely and this type of thing and accountability? Are we ready to meet Him? And being ready is, is living a life of Christ. That's what it is to be ready. Jesus says very clearly to them, when you've done it to the least of these, my brothers or my brethren, my family. You've done it unto me. I was, it, 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 my first thought was Romans 8. I'm adopted. And as an adopted son of God, as an adopted child of God, I am called a child of God according to Romans. I'm not called a stepchild or an adopted child. I'm simply called a child of God. And not only am I a child of God, but I am, this is so amazing every time you say it, joint heirs with Jesus. The inheritance of Christ is going to be shared with me. I'm going to live in His glory. I'm going to live in His light. 
I'm going to live in his kingdom and I'm going to be treated like a, a, a like like royalty in a sense that I will be part of the family. We'll all be. Isn't that amazing? We're joint heirs with Jesus. Jesus was asked in in, in fact that was Matthew chapter twelve several months or probably maybe years ago now. Uh <laughs> That uh, you know, his family was out there, and he, and, and he gave him a direct, uh, 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 to come to see him. And he says, "Well, wait a minute. Let me explain to you my things about my family. The people you see here." And he was just talking about the people that were coming to hear him and and to be with him and to follow him. He said, "These are my brothers, my sisters, my mother. In other words, this is my family. My family doesn't include what only blood can. My family includes kin under the blood." <laughs> And, uh, and, and so he said, this is my family. And quite candidly, I've found over the years, many times people have found that their family in Christ is the only family they have because of, of becoming a Christian. Uh, a dear friend of Kathy's and mine, uh, when we were in Bible college, uh, her name was Sharon, and she was Jewish. And uh, she accepted Christ as her Savior, and her dad pronounced her dead to the family. And her mother and her sisters and her brother could not speak her name in the house. Uh, they would not have anything to do with her because if dad found out, even if they wanted to, they couldn't. In other words, because dad would, would just possibly even disown them you know, or, or disinherit them, this type of thing. And so she had no family to call on. And so she kind of became part of our family for a couple of years. And... Uh, you know, it's uh, it's that idea that that this is this is supposed to be the tightest bond there is on earth is what we share in Christ. And if that is true, we will be a better husband. We will be a better wife. We will be a better father. We will be a a better employee because we're going to be doing all of those things in relationship to serving God and giving it our best. Verses 41 through 45, Jesus speaks to the, to, the, to the goats now. And again, he goes through the same thing about hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, in prison. But he says, this time, he says, you did not come and feed me or clothe me or make me welcome or visit me. You did not minister to my need. Again, with surprise, they're saying, when did we not... Minister to your needs. When you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. Some people say, is this the only things that they did wrong? Well, let me put it in a sense. The understanding is because of their attitude towards these things and and the, their response, it would appear that they did not have a personal profession of faith in place. Now you get the question is was it was this an equal number of goats and an equal number of sheep? Don't don't worry about those things. The question was not how many goats are there, how many sheep are there. The question is, are you ready? Do you have a heart for Christ? Do you want to serve him? If there's a stumbling block there, 
then your, the, the transformation process is drawing it to your attention. The Holy Spirit's drawing it to your attention and, and trying to get you past it. If there's a major stumbling block to you to the point where you just don't care about it, there needs to be the Holy Spirit maybe trying to get your attention to, to get you to care about it through professing Christ. final verse, verse 46, says that there was a judgment. There was a verdict cast. The goats were, were, were delivered into eternal punishment and the sheep into eternal life. You notice the eternal punishment. That was something also prepared for whom? It says for the devil and his angels, the fallen angels, the angels that were at war with Michael. Okay. In the... And, and, and it's the first time that this has ever kind of hit me, and it, and it actually is not, and it's not something that, that, that came to me on my own, but something that I read from uh, Ken Pritchard. Uh, and, and it was the idea that heaven is created for God, Christ, you know, the, the, the angels, the, the, the dwelling place of, of, of eternity for blessing. Okay? Hell is created for the devil, his fallen angels, and the, the, those who did not serve Christ or rejected Christ. And you realize that, I don't know if, if this is for you, but I've always had the back of my mind a, a, a visual picture, probably more of anything thanks to, to uh, Dante, uh, you know, and, and, and his trilogy in reference to heaven, hell, and, 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 and Purgatory as well, uh, but but the idea was is that he you saw hell as a place where the the demons were masters over you, kind of you know torturing you and beating. It's not the case. It, it, the implication here is is that they're going to be under they're going to be tortured and 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 unhappy and miserable as well. You see, you see, if they could torture you, there would be some joy for them, because that's what they they went against you for. You know, and and, I, and so we're going to the place of punishment for the demonic. And he makes it clear in verse 46. It is eternal in nature. Eternal punishment or eternal life. I always, at this point, put that disclaimer in there. I did not write that. Yes, I read it and I repeated it, but I did not write that. It's not my decision. It's not my... My choice, it's and, and it, it's and it's not, you know. But he doesn't leave an, uh, a room for for answering that any other way. In the process of all this, you look at there's a, 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 maybe a summation for you this morning. Jesus has been vindicated. In his first advent, he was was came as a humble servant, and he was humiliated. He was mocked. He was. Uh, put down, he was was ultimately beaten, and he was ultimately crucified. When he comes back, he 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 comes as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and he comes in his glory. And as a result, every tongue is going to confess. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter two, every tongue is going to confess, every knee is well, he says it knee first uh, is going to bow, and and that we were we will acknowledge. That every person will acknowledge, oh, that's the Lord. He's the King of Kings. We will know it when we see it. 
We will know it because we're hearing it. We're going to see it. It's going to be obvious. We need to establish firmly in our, in our, in our belief system that ministering to the needs of the saints is a responsibility of all of us. And not just here in our congregation, but throughout the church as a whole. And we see the, the Macedonians ministering to the, the church in Jerusalem in the, old, in, in, the, in the book of Acts and different places of, of, of ministry. We realize that we are a, a, family, a, a family of God is a universal family of God, all who have confessed and believed in their heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And all of us are family. And we hear of a need in, in, in Asia or we hear of a need... Uh, in in Africa, or we hear it in eat in the Middle East, or or wherever, and we have the means to respond, and God puts it on our heart, brings it to our attention. We need to do something. It may be personal, it may be through the church collectively. I, oftentimes, I've had people bring something that, that has been brought brought to their attention, and it turns out it's been brought to many. Once I announced it. Uh, and, and that we're going to either take a special offering for a group of people during the tsunamis that we've seen over the years and different things. And, and again, the response has always been to share. The Beatitudes tell us very clearly you know, who we are in Christ. We're poor in spirit, meaning that we've come to the realization that we need help. We can't save ourselves. But he says when we, are, when we get to that point where we're so poor that we, we rest in Christ for our salvation, the kingdom of God becomes ours. And we mourn over, 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 over sin. We mourn, you know, you know, we, we, these are the things that, that, that shape us. So we look to the Beatitudes, uh, different, different areas in Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5 of what it is to respond, to lift up, to build up, to say words that are encouraging to one another. I, I, I'm kind of I, I'm big on friendship evangelism. Uh, it was the evangelistic context that I was taught in and, and affirmed in several different churches over the years. And basically, what that's saying is is you've got neighbors who have needs and, and you meet their needs in a time of crisis, and you have the opportunity sometimes to share the gospel. Maybe you won't have the chance, but they they might be looking at you to see why are they willing to do that. Maybe they won't find out from you, but they'll find out from someone else. Uh, oh, yeah, those are those church people. Oh, and and uh, you know that idea of reaching out to people. Uh, and and the, the, within the framework of friendship evangelism, were two key, key key questions. George, do you know that you're going to heaven? George might say, well, I hope so. In fact, you'd be surprised how many times you hear that, even from people who are regular church attenders. I hope so. I'm thinking now of an 84-year-old who had been in church all his life who said that to the visiting pastor about seven years ago, eight years ago. I hope so. He's 84 years old. And my friend, the pastor, turned around and said, uh, well, if God... 
George, if, if God said, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Well, I've been a good church person. I've gone to church all my life. I tithe. I give to the missions. I, I, I do this. I do that. I do that. What about confession? Have you ever confessed Christ? turns out he had never actually had a personal confession. Been in church all his life. So at 84, he gave his life to Christ. I got to meet him right after that, by the way. He was, I'd never seen somebody at 84 so excited about life. A whole different attitude. If you're asked why I should let you into my heaven, what's your, what's your answer? It's, well, the only answer is that I confess Jesus Christ as my Savior. I confess with my mouth, believe in my heart. You say, how often do you say that, Bob? As often as I probably open my mouth any given time I'm teaching. But there is a third question. And this is what I haven't put together until I was putting this together. Well, I understand that you say that. Can you show me the evidence? My first comment is, but I'm not saved by works. I mean, I'm not. And I know that. But the fact that I might even utter that shows that I, I, I might be a little tainted already because I'm looking at it as I don't need to do anything else. Jesus isn't going to be asking me about evidence at this point to save me. He's going to be asking me about evidence to show that I've been transformed, that the Holy Spirit is in me. Because if the Holy Spirit is in me and I have been transformed, I am not going to be the person that I was. I'm not going to be like the, the world. You know, I'm going to be transformed to the image of Christ. I'm going to want to do what? To minister one to another. So the evidence is a follow-through. Come back to James. James says that this is the way it is. Your works reveal your faith. Your faith has to come first. The grace, the mercy, all of that has to come first. But as it comes, the Holy Spirit comes in, you will be transformed. Not you might be transformed. Is there a fight going on with this transformation in my soul? You bet. Romans 7 talks all about it. I want to please myself, and, and, and yet I know I want to please God too, and it's a battle going on. But thanks be to God. I start with, there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And it goes on to tell who I am in Christ. But the reality is, is that if I'm all of that, then there must be something different about me. And the difference is, serving God becomes more and more automatic. Ministering to the body becomes more and more automatic. I don't minister to the body because I'm an elder here in the church. I got ended up an elder in the church because I was already ministering in the body. And I was just simply called to help lead that. No different than anybody else here to this morning. I am no more saved, no more spiritual, no more holy than anybody else. We are all brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. So I just I, I just wanted to share this with you this morning. Uh, again, this uh, just trusting that you know in God that there's a transforming work going on in us, and that we would pray that the Holy Spirit would would continue the work collectively and individually as a body, 
that we would become more and more what Christ wants us to be. In Romans chapter 12, verses uh, 9 through 21, just write this scripture down. Uh, your Bible, in fact, your Bible might even have the heading there, uh, Marks of a True Christian. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. So sometime at a point of devotional uh, reading, just take that scripture and read it and, and, and see that you can see what, where Christ would direct you with that. And as we come to communion, I come back to that picture of, of the body of Christ coming together in, the, in, in, in Jerusalem. And it says that they came together and broke bread and, and fellowship together. And, and there's a lot of discussion as to did that include a meal? I think it probably did at one point in one time. But the breaking of bread, I, I, I believe, is the sharing of communion. Whenever they came together, they shared communion. Why? Because this is the essence of who we are. The blood of Christ has redeemed us. Jesus Christ came in the flesh for the purpose to redeem us, to purchase the covenant with His life so that we could have eternal life if we would confess and believe that He indeed is the Son of God. So I'd ask the ushers to come and to pass the communion out. Hold the emblems until we've all been served and we'll share together.
decided that I would read from the book of Acts chapter 2 for this this morning. Verse 42, it reads, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were being obedient and doing the things that Jesus had commanded. He says, when you gather together, remember me. And so they said, yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to break bread together. We're going to fellowship together. Are you going to meet each other's needs? Uh, yeah, we're going to do that. And that's exactly the things that we've been talking about was what they were doing. And uh, it says that God uh, gave them, granted them favor and blessed them. And the church grew. We were called, Jesus says, to do this. Paul repeats it again in, in, when he writes to the Corinthians that Jesus took bread on the night that He was betrayed and He broke it after He had given thanks for it. And He gave it to the disciples to eat. And He said, this is My body broken for you. And He asked that we would do this and remember Him as often as we share it. At the end of that meal that evening, I took the cup of blessing and gave it a whole new picture for all who would be believers that would follow the disciples in faith. He said, this is my blood poured out to purchase the covenant. Meaning this is my life surrendered. The sacrificial Lamb of God. This is, you know, John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is proclaiming all of that at this point in time. He says, my blood poured out to purchase the covenant. As often as you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank You that we could come to the table together today to, to break bread and to share the cup. We do so with an absolute confidence that You alone are worthy of our praise. And as we worship You, we thank You for our salvation. We know that none of us are worthy, but only through Your mercy and Your grace, You have saved us. Not only have You saved us, but You have promised us through the plan that was put together before the foundation of the world, You have promised us that we are joint heirs with You, Jesus, in the Kingdom of God. When we read about the things of the Kingdom of God, the new heaven and the new earth and all that is involved in that, we read so with a confidence that that is part of who we are. But cause us, Lord, to be also believers here and now in the sense of ministering to one another. Not just looking ahead to what is, is ours and, to, and, and is to come, but living in Your kingdom now as, as, as members of, of the family of God. As the children of God. And it would cause us to be recognizing the needs around us. And that we would be faithful in accomplishing Your work.
In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close? And uh, we have refreshments in the back. Uh, if you have a few minutes to, to visit. Uh, we understand a busy weekend possibly for many. So, uh, Lord bless you. Thank you for making time for us today. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Alan. Happy birthday to you. Now, see, I don't, I don't do that to people unless I get permission. I took that Naomi as permission. So you can say, God, it's the wife you gave. No. (laughs) Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy. Sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, holy, holy is he. Sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. All creation I sing, praise to the King of kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. of lightning, rolls of thunder, blessing and honor, strength and glory and power be, to you the only wise King, and holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was in With all creation I sing praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything and I will adore you.